Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We take all the stems of kale, add 2% salt to them, let them sit for four or five days in a warm room, dry them out, grind them to a powder, and it tastes like seaweed. You just carry a little baggie of this stuff? I've got a little Coke spoon we can use. If, uh... Dude, seaweed bumps? <laughs> kale stem bumps? Kale stem bumps. <laughs> wow! Uh, Matt Orlando has worked at some of the great restaurants on this planet. Per Se in New York, The Fat Duck in the UK, Noma in Copenhagen, where he was head chef under Rene Redzepi. But it wasn't until he opened his restaurant a mass and looked into his own dumpster, actually, that he found his true calling. As you'll hear in this episode, his vision for a zero-waste restaurant is idealistic, inspiring, innovative, and somehow also, I can vouch for this, having eaten there, super fucking delicious. I sat down with Matt in Galway, the final of our guests from Food on the Edge this fall, at a very early hour, and drank instant coffee with him. Because when you have a world-class chef, you give him a hot cup of Bulies. I'm Nathan Thornburg, and you're listening to The Trip, drinking with exceptional people around the world. I'm ready for the whole instant coffee experience. <laughs> That's perfect. You went downstairs and had breakfast without coffee. Exactly. It was the responsible thing to do. Read the packet to me. What's uh, What are we looking at there? Bewley's. Well, they must be of some quality. They've been around since 1840. you got to show a little respect. I'm here with Matt Orlando, world-famous chef, who's going to tell me whether you put instant coffee at the bottom of the cup first or water first. There's the old rule in uh, pastry. Yeah. You always add your wet to your dry. Oh, really? So I'm going to stick with that one. Okay. <laughs> Always add your wet to your dry. Why? No, no, that's yeah. right. I said that right. Okay. See what happens when I don't drink coffee and you try to have an intelligent conversation. I know. <laughs> Me just trying to get ready the last half hour without any coffee has just like been a bear in an apple store. Well, I respect that because you also stayed true to the uh, Oh yeah. <laughs> no coffee before the... Not only do we have instant coffee, but they only give us two. I could at least put three packets in this one cup here. And do you have to... No, instant coffee is it's like... It's instant. You don't have to do anything. Just look at it. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and, it and, and it forms. <laughs> I love it. You know, we're, we're here for Food on the Edge, which is a high-caliber food conference convention of the food Illuminati. <laughs> and, you know, they're just feeding us this, like, ridiculous organic soda bread and everything's plucked fresh from the sea and yet you know jp is going to love the fact that i found the the one extremely shitty thing that has it, been put in front of me all you know I, I was i just i was sitting with duncan downstairs yeah i told him i was coming up here to drink some instant coffee and he says that's interesting i said let me tell you this why hasn't anybody actually really explored making instant coffee great Ooh. and he goes they have there's people in Melbourne doing it. I was like, oh, of course there's people in Melbourne doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Melbourne. Exactly. So okay, apparently there's, you can buy this little, it's like a little sachet 
that you wave in your coffee and then you have coffee. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's just like there was a it man w- with overall suspenders and a, and a beard, and a bar mustaches, <laughs> and a, a beard with a bar mustache. Wow, <laughs> just in a little bag, a yeah. sachet. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're, we have that here. No. All right, let's uh, let's, let's get do some this. Notes. Yeah. Well, it's hot. It's really hot. <laughs> it's really, I don't think I'm going to be able to give you any tasting notes after that drink. <laughs> right. In 2018, Chef Matt Orlando suffered a career-ending <laughs> instant coffee burn. Third-degree tongue burn. Uh, no, it won't end your career. You'll be like Beethoven when he was deaf, you know. Oh, yeah. You'll be the chef who couldn't taste. I'll taste with my ears. Actually, you know, that's a weird pre-Roads and Kingdoms flashback. For some reason, I interviewed Roger Ebert about food. I did that because he had written a cookbook after he lost his jaw to cancer and his tongue. Uh-huh. He couldn't taste anything. And it was like a one pot instant cookbook. His whole mantra was like, if it has a, any more than one button, it's uh-huh. already too complicated. <laughs> like you can, Shit, you can feed your entire that. family. That is the Roger Ebert cookbook. Of course, like Rest in peace. Sorry, man. But I was definitely using this cookbook just to talk to Roger Ebert because oh, yeah. <laughs> Roger Ebert's the man, uh-huh. but was not really convinced about this cooking thing. Yeah. I, think, I think his wife might have been, you know. Was that your, your was that your intro into this the, is my cooking intro world? Into the cooking world? <laughs> the one pot wonder. I, I mean, listen, talking to chefs who can taste is like a real upgrade for me. <laughs> Sorry, Roger. Again, he was, he was amazing. Uh, so kind and smart, but not able to taste any of the recipes that but he made. Putting, yeah. So he's got he, a good staff behind him. Yeah. I mean his I guess that would be the wife who <laughs> is a powerhouse. What what's it you're going back in? I'm fucking still hot right. Jesus. <laughs> oh man. All right. We're gonna go back to the coffee when yeah. it cools off. Exactly. Well you know you know if you go drink really good coffee you should actually let it cool down to get all the uh floral and acidic notes on it. Oh really? Oh yeah yeah. Jesus I'm just maybe if we get let this get cold enough, we'll start to taste for <laughs> start to, the real Bewley's magic world bloom. All right, so you're here for what reason? I've been here the last four years since they started Food on the Edge, and for me, this symposium is so refreshing because first of all, the shit flows downstream. JP is a dude; he's just like so chill and no ego wants to do the right thing, and he's not interested in the moon and the stars and all this philosophical shit, and he just gets on stage and says it like it is. Maybe he stutters here and there. He doesn't give a shit. Yeah. And that sets the tone for the entire symposium. Everyone's super relaxed. Yeah. Like, conversations you have off stage are probably more impactful than you ha- than the ones on stage. He's probably going to hate me when I when he hears that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's made that on purpose. Yeah. I keep coming back every year, and, and I'm lucky enough to be a part of it every year. And, and this year, I actually get to MC today. You are MC. I am MC. I love how we're starting your day of, your big day of talking with a bunch of talking. Yeah. No um, to get me warmed up, it's fine. Yeah. Better than me talking to myself in the mirror. Um, <laughs> that's right. All right. <laughs> what do you have to do as an MC at a, at a food? I actually was a bit stressed out about it because I've never done this before. I was a bit OCD about it, and I researched every single person I'm introducing because you have to be able to introduce them in under 20 seconds and so to find the two or three kind of really important things about them yeah but to not say their name until right before they come on stage oh right 
It's a bit of an art form. Our next guest is, yeah. Yeah. Oh, is that what Sasu was doing? Because I did get introduced as a guy from Brooklyn. Yeah. I think that's how he started. Yeah. A guy from Brooklyn. Exactly. Ooh, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm really just like feeling the boundary of what you can do with the podcast because really when I think about you, I just think about this restaurant and the space that you have and like being in the space. We're not in the space. We're like a thousand miles away from it. Uh, just close your eyes. <laughs> Close your eyes and don't drink your... this coffee. <laughs> the last time I was there, we just had like a super lightning tour of the menu. And it's a very special thing you're doing. So I'm going to let you tell me what it is. First, I'm going to confiscate your spoon. So it stops sounding like jingle bells here. <laughs> Sorry. Because, I, I mean, you store the coffee and unfortunately, it's not getting any better. I know. <laughs> It was like some subconsciously, if I keep stirring and add right. more air to it, it'll right. dilute the flavor. <laughs> Just aerate this bitch till it's ready to go. All right, what are we doing at a mess? Yeah. We're five years in. We are in a very different place now than we were when we opened. I mean, I think you were around... I was Not around back then, back too. Then, yeah. yeah. The biggest thing is uh, the frame of mind that we are we are in right now. From the creative process of the food to how we're sourcing our ingredients to how we're treating the ingredients, most of all. And when I say treating the ingredients, that's just paying attention to the entire ingredient itself. And, of course, there's a lot of phrases being thrown out there, nose to tail, what is it, root to tail root to top and I don't know what I don't know what it, any of it really means yeah. neither, neither do the people saying them but uh, this is paying respect to the entire ingredient yeah. and sometimes to use the ingredient you have to put certain parts of it i.e. the byproducts of the ingredient through certain processes and those processes often yield a more delicious flavor than the actual main part of the ingredient itself hmm. and I think that thought process is now started to affect the creative process. Whereas we are processing all these so-called byproducts into delicious things and then storing them and then using that as the starting point for our dishes. So we take all the stems of kale, add 2% salt to them, let them sit for four or five days in a warm room, dry them out, grind them to a powder, and it tastes like seaweed. You just carry a little baggie of this stuff? I've got a little Coke spoon we can use. If, uh... Dude, seaweed bumps? <laughs> Kale stem bumps? <laughs> Kale stem bumps. Wow. Um, man, JP's um, going to kick your ass if you uh, came to the land of, uh, <laughs> what is it called? Dil, Dilis? Dilkis? Uh, they've got like this very special seaweed out here that he's really high on. Oh, really? And you've brought Kale. Kale uh, seaweed. The Kale replacement. Yeah. I did um, it. I used it in the master class yesterday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I convinced half the population of Galway to stop eating seaweed and just process <laughs> chaos stems. The crestfallen yeah. seaweed vendors. It's much cheaper. Uh, outside the hall. <laughs> much less expensive, helps your food cost. That is definitely something that stood out, is because even, even when you're kind of briefly describing some of the stuff that we were having, just the process. This is a thing that's been through a very specific, unusual, and ultimately incredibly effective process that people wouldn't have thought of. Do you want me to check about? I think I might actually. Oh, oh yeah! Serious. I might have some. All right, let's do it. Oh yeah! So I've got a square Tupperware. So this party just got started. <laughs> All right, we got instant coffee. We got and kale stem nori. It kind of looks like tree bark, right? I mean, it's What's like, wrong with tree bark? No, no. Give, give it to me. It's like these flat. 
so you you create this flavor that is seaweedish. Okay. And then what we take that powder and then add a little bit of water just to make a paste. Uh-huh. And then we spread it out on uh, dehydrator trays and dry it, and it tastes like nori seaweed. This is like, do not try this at home kind of cooking. Uh, you can try it at home. You can? Sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm like, and you just put a little tab under the tongue? Yeah, yeah. You know, you, it's not your first rodeo. <laughs> wow. That's craziness. I'll indulge with you. I usually do this for breakfast. Everybody. Instant coffee and kale. Nori. Now, is this salt like? Garden nori. Garden nori. This is actually a combination of kale stems, all the herbs from the garden that have holes in them that we can't use on the menu. Oh, all right. the stems, everything just gets salted together and dried. So I had this question about ayahuasca, which is this sort of like impossible combination of like the leaves of this plant over here with the resin of this other plant and then somebody put it together you know uh-huh. and the, the question i have of course i'm just like such a nerd about this i should sit back and enjoy the demons but <laughs> instead i'm like who is the guy who figured this out like who yeah. was the first person to, to brew these leaves with this resin you're kind of embarking on a, a dozen different paths like that in a single in a single dinner for somebody like yeah. do you just have so many attempts that go horribly wrong do you have oh man do you have like the some of the stuff that yeah. we have uh consumed in the kitchen at, in the name of science <laughs> have been less than uh delicious i would say and do you have like rules like if you thought it up you got to be the first guy to taste it mm. <laughs> to protect yourselves for like generally if you thought yeah. it up you're going to be the first one to make it and the first one to taste it okay every once in a while um someone will come to me and say chef taste this I'm like, have you tasted it? They're like, no. I was like, why not? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's excellent. Who's the first person that ate a fucking sea cucumber? That's what I want to (laughs) know. That is also (laughs) a good question. That's like... Here's a thing like uh that's writhing in your hand yeah pulsating it's, a little bit it's right it's slimy it's, it's like um a bad bowel movement that has come to life yeah and you're like boom. every time i'm afraid to taste something i just always say to myself someone ate a sea, sea cucumber for the first time you can do this <laughs> heroes have walked before me all right we have garden or like there's two things about that. One, you have now a flavor that you can be pretty damn sure nobody else has or is doing. And so what do you do with that in, in the dish? Generally, we do two things, or we've done a, well, more than two things. But so your base is a powder. Um, and in this case, we make a paste and dry it. And then we'd just kind of break pieces over. Like the last dish we had was pumpkin, muscle butter, hazelnuts, and then Little of these crisps laying all over the top of it. Wow. Um, you can also take this and make an oil out of it that's super delicious. Just blend it into oil, let it sit overnight. Or you can just keep it in powder form mm-hmm. and dust stuff with it. And what does that do? I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's we like, we call pretty, it the activator. The, right. <laughs> I mean, it's, dust. <laughs> this is pretty powerful shit. I'm yeah. going to go back in if you don't mind. I'm no problem, little, man. Um, I'm not sure I should fill up on this. <laughs> you know, it's it's actually quite good for you. Uh, I'm sure. Good for the floral in your gut. Oh, yeah. I can make my own sea cucumbers. It's <laughs> <laughs> so fucking gross. This is, that is way too early. Um, Dip it in your coffee. Umami. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would hope and imagine this is probably why you're carrying around a little baggie or Tupperware. This, uh, <laughs> this is definitely the stuff that you get into 
at a mass. So sustainability is, is a squishy word and, and something that is easily co-opted by a lot of people. But, you know, just taking a walk through your garden and some of your processes, you're like, fuck, this guy's taking this really far. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> you know, and, very and, unreasonable. I mean, you, you yeah. said uh, sustainability is, a, is a kind of a squishy word. And it's like, at this point, it's so, uh, I don't even like to use the word. Yeah. Because it's become like organic. And we had an organically certified restaurant as well. Right. <laughs> Which we're just trying to get all the squishy words in there. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's yeah. almost to a point where you need to, as soon as the mainstream starts to like use the word as another tool that yep. it really should be used for, yep. you just need to move on from it. Because then all of a sudden you're kind of pigeonholed in this kind of greenwashed society that's really becoming prevalent now, especially in the restaurant industry. The amount of high-end, well-known restaurants out there yeah. that are just blatantly greenwashing themselves yeah, right yeah. now, is it makes me want to vomit in my mouth. Yeah. It's it's crazy. And just recycle that shit. Just, and um, just like, oh, we'll just throw a word like hashtag sustainability in there or yeah. whatever, and everyone freaks the fuck out and like, oh my God, you're so responsible. You're setting a you're setting a, an example for the, the industry. And you're like, come on, bro. Yeah. Just go take a look at that man's dumpster. Yeah. Is that where the, the rubber hits the road? Like for you, what defines like a baseline commitment so you're not just like out there co-opting? I think just, you don't have to talk about it. Like, yeah. <laughs> just do it. Number one, hashtags. Yeah, exactly. Not, not, uh, need not and, apply. And just, so for so long, I, I was, before it started to get kind of really mainstream, I was really trying to, we were as a team at the restaurant trying to figure out a way to communicate what we were doing without preaching. Yeah. Because as soon as you preach, they get the 50 yard stare and yeah. you're just like, all right. So, and we worked so hard to figure out how to try to communicate this without using the words sustainable yeah. or organic right. or which are two very different things, but without using these kind of catch words now. Right. Uh, so people, because as soon as you say those words, people in their head have like, oh, they're like that restaurant or that restaurant. And what we're doing, I think, is very different than any restaurant. So trying to tell the story without using those words. And the, wor the word that I like to use is responsible. Okay. Because we are a responsible restaurant. That's just a straight-up, grown-up, adulting that's it, kind man. of behavior. Yeah. I just had a daughter, so I'm... That's true. <laughs> so. I examine how I uh, affect the people around me much more. <laughs> wow. That did not happen to me when I had kids. Um, but good for you. Tell me about this moment. You had been the head chef at Noma and worked at Fat Duck and Per Se and all of these kind of, you know, the great restaurants of our time. Was there some moment where you just, where you saw a dumpster full of food that could have been food? I think there were numerous moments yeah. throughout my career that I saw situations like that. But I didn't realize how, how heavy it weighed on me until I actually had my own restaurant. And then, I mean, we opened like a regular restaurant. We didn't open in this state of mind. Mm. And I remember... After the first six months, I was able to, we had our first kind of closure for the holidays. It was the first time I was able to kind of take a step back from the restaurant and look at it yeah. from outside and just examine everything we were doing inside the restaurant. And uh, the thing that just kept weighing on me was, wow, we are becoming this restaurant that I used to work at, that I would really see all this stuff going on. And I was out 
by our dumpster. Yeah. And I just, I, I think there's, what was in there? It was like all of our leftover potato bread. Yeah. Kind of in the dumpster and kind of a few like lettuce leaves and stuff. And I was like, shit, this like, this could be at a restaurant that I worked at before. And then yeah. all these memories just came like racing back in of these different experiences I'd had over my whole career. And I said, shit, we need to do something about this. Ironically, I had a, I was sitting in the, in the garden a couple of days later with a friend and she asked me, she goes, so Mass is, it's open now and it's six months in and that first six month hump. And now you guys kind of got a few systems in place and it's, it's going now. And what's the plan? And when she said it to me, the word responsible popped into my head. And I was like, I don't know, to be responsible. And she goes, what does that mean? Yeah. And I was like, I have no fucking clue. <laughs> Great. Put it on the whiteboard. Yeah, exactly. Put it on the whiteboard. Yeah. Circle it and <laughs> start drawing <laughs> octopus arms. <laughs> so then we had another week until we reopened. And that week just drilled on me about, okay, what does this mean? What, what can we do to be responsible? Three days before we opened, I sat down with the staff and I said, all right, all the stuff we've just accomplished over the last six months, forget about it. Yeah. We're doing this now. Huh. And they're like, what does that mean? I was like, I have no idea. But this is how we're going to move forward with this restaurant. And none of us have worked in a restaurant like this. Yeah. None of us have any reference point to a restaurant like this. But you know what? We're just going to figure it out. Doing it on our own and kind of not hiring in a consulting company or anything has allowed us to, I think, succeed a bit more in what we're trying to do and because we didn't have someone telling us do this and do that and do this we just kind of organically figured it out right and made a lot of mistakes and probably lost a lot of money yeah <laughs> in making those mistakes well i was gonna say i mean like the margin on any restaurant even a successful one it's just got to be so thin that how are you gonna sit there and say now let's put a guy on the job of like rescuing and upcycling yeah. kale stems yeah well a big a big part of it was that we, we couldn't afford to hire more staff. So we had to logistically figure it out with what we had. Mm -hmm. And of course, up front, it was a lot of work because yeah. we didn't know logistically how to figure it out. And now that we're kind of a few years into it now, yeah. now it's just like running any other restaurant. You know, Instead of peeling a carrot, we're processing kale stems. Instead of um, boiling potatoes, we are making almond almond pulp ricotta or dried tomato skin oil or stuff like that. So it just becomes part of the the normal everyday working of the restaurant. You know, that's also a legitimate question. How many how many seats do you have? 64. 64. I mean, you know, it's larger than a lot of restaurants, but it's this is a small laboratory. Does there have to be in order for you to feel like you're having an impact. It's not by the metric ton of kale stems that you're not throwing <laughs> away, right? It's got to be more about the ideas that could maybe pass on down the chain. Thomas Keller had a huge impact. And yeah. I say that word impact because that's the word, that's one of the core values when you work for TK. I mean, it comes down to is that we want to have an impact on the restaurant industry after we're gone. We want to have an impact on the way people think about cooking and there's a guy, uh, Wes Jackson. He started the Land Institute. It's a society that is focused on saving uh, perennial grasslands in uh, like middle America, yeah, the prairie okay. basically, right. because it's all been dug up and there's no deep root systems anymore. That's why the big dust bowl happened in the 30s. And yeah. this guy has a quote that kind of I have written in all my, all my notebooks. If you can measure your life's work 
within your own lifetime, yeah. you're not thinking big enough. <laughs> that is either like an amazing call to service or just like the best fucking sit on the couch excuse. <laughs> just like, listen, I don't want to do anything that it could be perceptible in this lifetime anyway. I'm the real wing of a butterfly. Uh, right. You work so hard in for, for the moment, you know, for every night, for every service. Um, and it's got to just kind of blow your mind on some levels, just like trying to step back from that and just like, okay, yeah. we did great or we did terrible or whatever happened tonight, but what is what is that big picture? I mean, it's such a like action job that you've got. It is, but I think the things that drive me is when we, we sit down and we start to quantify some numbers. And you, you said, you know, you don't deal in the metric ton and stuff like that, but we do. Really? Because when you sit down, and I'll give you two examples. So... We really started to explore egg whites, what they're made of and how many proteins they have and what temperatures they cook at. And because we cook eggs at a very low temperature to extract the yolk from it, which is chewy. And then you have these like half cooked egg whites. Yeah, right. But it's, they're not really half cooked. Actually, at 63 degrees, only 12% of the proteins cook in an egg white. It looks like this half cooked weird egg white. Yeah. But it's only 12% of the proteins are suspended or all the raw egg white is suspended in the 12% of the cooked proteins. So we save all those and we drip them through a fine sieve overnight to extract the raw egg whites. Huh. And then we make our marshmallow and meringues out of them. Get out. And then the cooked 12% of the egg whites, we make like an egg white soy sauce. So the same process making soy sauce, but we do it with egg whites and barley and salt. And you ferment it. Into a, into a garum, basically. Wow. If you look at just the sheer weight over one year yeah. of product that we save it's around 520 kilos get the hell out of yeah. here god that's crazy when you start to look at like like right. that over then it starts to make sense why you're doing this i mean water we save all the water that we use to run our roners yeah all the water that we use for ice baths and stuff like that we save all this it's about 80 to 90 liters a day wow and we boil it and use it to wash our floors. It's over 5,000 liters a year. So you take your cooking water, boil it, and then you're mopping the, fl the yeah. restaurant down with that. Exactly. That's craziness. That's like two things. And once you've opened the, the, the lid on that, don't, do you go to another restaurant and just be like, "Oh man, what the hell? We did a crazy pop-up in Croatia a year before last. And we were put into a restaurant. We, it was like... It wasn't really pop up. It was the the rich man Croatia had it, flew us out to do his birthday. Yeah, got it. And so he shut a he shut a mass down for a week, and then he shut uh, a restaurant in Zagreb down just so we could prep at it. And the whole staff got in there. And we started That's working. That's a man who really likes you. <laughs> yeah, he's a great guy. He is a, actually a really cool guy. Um, huge into music. We had, I mean, he had Franz Ferdinand play at his birthday. There was right. 300 of us watching Franz Ferdinand. He shut Franz Ferdinand down the other Franz Ferdinand place. And crazy, dude. That's insane. Is it, anyway, we stepped into that kitchen, yeah. and we were all so uncomfortable because they didn't recycle anything. They didn't have, like, they didn't... We have about 15 different bins for different things at the restaurant. Right. And they didn't... They just have no, one, no, giant one giant dumpster. One giant Yeah, all yeah. the plastic, all the styrofoam. Yeah where are you taking a mass now so we're at the point now where like everything we do is in the kitchen at a mass we don't we don't have a separate space to kind of think about these processes and most of this information that we've gathered is kind of like chicken scratched in our notebooks yeah 
And we are in the process now of actually building a uh, small brewery. And within that space, we are building a, a research space. And this is not a test kitchen. This is not a place where we're going to come up with dishes. This is a place where we're going to explore processes. And these processes focused on addressing the byproducts that we're creating from cooking and now brewing. Are you going to write on this shit? I mean, will there be a handbook that, you know, should be... So there'll be a website yeah. attached to the mm-hmm. uh, research space. I believe we're going to start the cookbook next year. Awesome. Final question. How's the coffee sitting now? It's actually... Some of the floral notes are opening up now as it, as it cools down. Check that nose out on there. Mm. Yeah, that's not a flower <laughs> I want to smell. But it's not burning my mouth anymore. You know, what, sometimes you drink coffee for caffeine. Sometimes you drink coffee for flavor. That's true. I would say 95% of the time is for the caffeine. I appreciate that. That's, yeah. a, that's a simple approach to uh, coffee and life. <laughs> Matt, thanks so much. Thanks, Matt. The Trip is hosted by me, Nathan Thornburg, produced by Josie Holtzman and Danielle Roth of Future Projects. Our editor is Roads and Kingdoms, Taffy Mukunyadze. Our executive producers are me and Matt Goulding, also of Roads and Kingdoms. Thanks to Adele Rodriguez for the art and Dan the Automator for the music. Next week, join me and one of my heroes in this business, legendary conflict photographer Yuri Kozarev, in Moscow for a conversation about life after war. Iraq uh, is not over for me. It's, uh, it's part of my, uh, it's in my blood, you know. I spent uh, almost eight, eight years there. The story is not over. I need to come back at some point. We'll meet you there. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.